Well, good morning again. If I don't know you, I'm Derek, I'm the pastor here. I'd love to get to know you. I do have one more really exciting big announcement is that we are adding another pastor to our staff. And his name is Mike Haberkorn. Some of you have met he and his wife Mary and their wonderful family. He is going to be starting in early September, but they're going to be moving here really just within the next couple of weeks. We are so excited. Um, It truly has felt like the Lord has just dropped this wonderful opportunity into our lap. If you'd like to hear more about kind of that story of how it all came together, stick around and I'll explain it a little more in the congregational meeting afterward. And then, okay, let's just address this one more time. Uh, Yes, I'm wearing shorts, and I know there's a handful of you who are throwing your arms up in exasperation saying, I can't believe Derek's wearing shorts. And then there's probably another handful of you throwing your arms up in celebration saying, I can't believe Derek's wearing shorts. Either way, you need to know it is both necessary and temporary. So let's get into the good stuff now. We'll open God's Word. We are almost finished with our series on the fruit of the Spirit. We're going to talk about gentleness this morning, and I'm going to read to you from James chapter 3. We're actually going to look at uh, a bunch of different passages this morning, but we'll start with this one. James 3, starting in verse 13, reading through verse 18. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Let's do that again. It's new, so we're getting used to it. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stand forever. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for your word this morning. We're grateful for your spirit and how you produce in us fruit. Thank you, Lord, that you um, are so personally involved in us, in our lives, that you actually want to see good fruit produced in each of us individually, that you want to see good fruit produced in your church corporately, and that you, Lord, have set out on a mission even to do exactly that. So, Lord, go to work on our hearts this morning. Open our ears and soften our hearts that we would hear what you have to say to us, that your spirit would produce in us beautiful things, and especially that you would produce in us today gentleness. We pray this in the name of our gentle and humble Savior, Jesus. Amen. I, uh, I, I don't know if you've seen this movie. I have actually not seen this movie, The Horse Whisperer, with Robert Redford in it. But I have actually read Robert e- uh, Roger Ebert's review, which may just be enough. This is what Roger Ebert says of The Horse Whisperer. He said, The Horse Whisperer is about a man of great patience, faced with a woman, a child, and a horse in great need of it. 
The story from the best-selling novel by Nicholas Evans involves a riding accident that leaves a horse named Pilgrim crippled and a girl named Grace so badly injured that part of her leg must be amputated. Their farm workers believe that the horse should be put down fearful because it's fearful and skittish, but Grace's mother Annie reads about a famed horse whisperer named Tom Booker who heals troubled animals. How does horse whispering work? Well, as nearly as I could tell, Tom stares at the horse until the horse gets the idea. Eventually, the horse succumbs to its need for love and acceptance. These methods work equally well on women. As both Grace and Annie discover, the girl's anger dissolves and her mother, a brittle workaholic, finds her hyper-personality dissolving in the mountain air as she falls in love with Tom. Whispering, horse whispering, right? It's the, the magical ability to just calm everything around you. Maybe you also uh, watched the television show The Dog Whisperer with Caesar Milan, where Caesar would come in and simply just by being around these crazy dogs, they would just immediately calm themselves and go from being rabid dogs to being gentle dogs simply by the magic power of his presence. In fact, maybe that's kind of what's in your mind about what gentleness is. It's kind of like whispering, right? The ability to just kind of magically tame either wild beast or hardened Manhattanite simply by the magic of your presence. Well, that is not what gentleness is. Gentleness is, however, more like a skill. Think about skills. They include or require something internal to happen in us and something external to happen in us. If you are going to actually be really skilled at something, it has to start with a, an internal kind of, um, you know, ability to, to actually do that skill, right? You, you'll never be able to hit a baseball consistently if you're not pretty coordinated. You'll never be able to actually perform open-heart sur surgery if you don't have pretty good hands and are pretty good at doing little minute things with your hands. So it has to start actually with some innate gifting, but it can't stop there. Just because you're good with your hands doesn't mean I want you opening up my chest and working on my heart. You actually have to take that innate gift and actually translate it then into a skill by practice, by actually working with that skill over time that you become actually better and better at it the rest of your life. And that's actually a lot like what the fruit of the Spirit is like in us. It requires both an internal and an external action. The internal action is the job of the Holy Spirit to produce in us seeds of this fruit that then we actually are called to work on, to take into our daily lives and actually begin to hone and craft and over the course of a lifetime get better at. And so gentleness, just like any uh, fruit of the Spirit, is both an internal thing, character development, and an external thing, action development. And so that's the way that we're going to look at it this morning. We're going to look at the character of gentleness. What is gentle character as displayed in the Bible? And then we'll talk about gentle action. How does that character actually get played out in action in our daily lives? So let's look at gentle character first. And we're going to look at a few different passages here. Going back to that James 3 passage I just read from you, listen again. He talks about bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts that actually leads to things like divisions and strife among you. 
and then in a comparison way says, no, the wisdom from above is what? Both pure, first pure, then peaceable, then gentle and open to reason. And I, I read that again because it's helpful for us to remember that James is actually comparing two heart positions here or heart dispositions. What's going on in our hearts really matters. And so what's supposed to actually happen in Christians in their hearts is that gentleness is actually supposed to work itself out as character. That's the way that James describes Christian character. It includes gentleness. In fact, if you flip through most of the New Testament, you'll find most of the writers of the New Testament actually mention this as some description of Christian character. Peter does the same thing. Paul does the same thing over and over. In fact, Paul actually tells us that gentleness is also one of the things that should mark an elder. We are about to vote on new officers in a meeting right after this this worship service, and so it's important that we know what kind of character we want from our officers. And listen to this. This is 1 Timothy 3. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. So gentleness is not only the character described for Christians, it is the character actually required for elders. And of course, why do we as Christians, and we want our leaders to reflect this, It's because we want to be Christ-like, Christian, right? Like Jesus. We want to be like Jesus in this way. So how does Jesus describe himself? We heard it in our call to worship, but let me read it for you one more time. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus says this, by the way, the only time in the Bible where he describes who he is, this is what he says of himself. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I know many of you have read the book Gentle and Lowly by Dane Ortland. We actually studied it in our community groups last year, where the author, Dane Ortland actually takes this phrase from Jesus and kind of takes it apart over the course of a whole book. This is one of the things that he says in that book about Jesus' gentleness. Jesus is not trigger-happy, he writes, not harsh, not reactionary or easily exasperated. He is the most understanding person in the universe. The posture most natural to him is not a pointed finger, but it is open arms. This, according to his own testimony, is Christ's very heart. This is who he is, tender, open, welcoming, accommodating, understanding, willing. If we are asked to say only one thing about who Jesus is, we would be honoring Jesus' own teaching if our answer is gentle and lowly. If Jesus hosted his own personal website, the most prominent line of the about me drop down would read, gentle and lowly in heart. That is who Jesus is. His character is gentle, and he calls his people actually to be gentle as well. I read a story the other day about George Vanderbilt, George Vanderbilt of the famous Vanderbilt family, extremely wealthy family in America, who built the Biltmore Estate 
in Asheville, North Carolina. Maybe some of you have seen this massive house. At the time that it was built, it may actually still be the largest uh, family residence in the United States. It is a massive house. And the Vanderbilts were kind of famous for entertaining. They would bring people over to stay. Oftentimes, the list of the folks that they would bring into this amazing house was kind of the who's who of the rich and famous and powerful in the United States. But George Vanderbilt was known himself to be one who was humble and gentle and kind. In fact, read this one story about a young woman named Bessie Smith who had just been hired on as a server. And as she came in her first duties as a server to bring in tea service for one of the parties they were hosting, she walked into the room where where they were, and she was so overcome with the opulence and the size and so amazed that she actually dropped the tray full of teacups and everything broke everywhere. And in the midst of this, all of the people who were gathered, you know, the rich and famous, uh, looked. They stopped, right? The records kind of scratched, and the music stopped. And they looked to see what George Vanderbilt would do. And he walked over to this young woman, and he kneeled down on his knees, and he started to pick up the shards of the broken uh, glassware. And he looked at her, and he just kind of whispered. He said, "Come, come see me tomorrow morning. And she just knew in her heart, well, that, that's the end of this job, Right? She showed up the next morning thinking she would be fired, instead was promoted to chambermaid where she would not have to carry such heavy things. That is the heart of someone who, though he has great power and influence, is what we would consider a powerful, great person on earth, has a humble, gentle heart. Now, let me address something. Maybe even in hearing that illustration, you thought, Okay, I heard you talk about the word humility. I heard you talk about the word kindness. What is going on here? Well, let me define what we're talking about here. Let's define gentleness. Webster's, if you look at the English, uh, the English word and you look it up in a dictionary, this is what you'll probably find, something like this. The quality of being kind, tender, or mild-mannered. A softness of touch. That's a great last phrase, isn't it? A softness of touch. Maybe somebody that you would describe as gentle, you would describe that way, has a a soft touch with everything. But actually, the Greek words that we translate as gentle in the Bible have a little different meaning. In fact, it's a much deeper meaning, I would say. And there's a couple of different Greek words that we oftentimes see translated in English as gentle. Here's the definition of one of them. Not insisting on every right of letter of law or custom, yielding, gentle, kind, courteous, tolerant. The second and probably the the most common of these words that we translate gentle is this. Here's the definition. The quality of not being overly impressed by a sense of one's self-importance. Do you hear the thread that ties them both together? It's humility, isn't it? If you are not overly concerned with your own self-importance, if you are not overly impressed by a sense of your own self-importance, then you actually will be somebody who doesn't insist on every right that you are owed. So a gentle person at the heart, at the root, is actually somebody who is humble. In fact, I think you could say it this way, you cannot be gentle if you are not first humble. 
The tree of gentleness has its roots dug deep down into humility. The idea that you are not so impressed with your own self-importance. And friends, that actually produces gentleness in us. Now, let's pause for just a second, because maybe you're thinking again, okay, we've talked about gentleness, we've also talked about humility. You told this story that also sounded maybe kind of like kindness. What's going on here? There's a lot of overlap in a lot of these terms. Well, that's right. In fact, it's good that we talk about this for a second, because in the list of the fruit of the Spirit, there's a lot of overlap in what's going on. And the reason is that though Paul actually gives individual fruits of the Spirit, he calls them one fruit. In fact, let's look at that. Let's read that again. In Galatians 5, if you've got a Bible, you can open it up to Galatians chapter 5, where the list of the fruit of the Spirit is, starting in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For those are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you, do, you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalry, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, things like these. What a terrible list that is. As I warned you before, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But listen to this, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now, there's actually something interesting grammatically going on here. Paul starts by saying the fruit of the Spirit is. That word fruit is actually singular. The fruit of the Spirit is, not the fruits of the Spirit are. But then he ends it by saying against such things, there's no law, and that such things is actually plural. So what is it? Is the fruit of the Spirit just one fruit, or is it a lot of fruits? Well, the answer is yes. Think about it like grapes. Is a bunch of grapes grapes, or is one grape grape? Yeah, kind of the same. In fact, think about it like grape varietals. There are a lot of different kinds of grapes. You can go to the store, you can buy red grapes and green grapes. But if you start getting into winemaking, you're talking about all kinds of different nuances in kinds of grapes. Are Chardonnay grapes and Merlot grapes, are they different? Yeah, they're different. Are they both grapes? Yeah, they're both grapes. And the fruit of the Spirit is like that as well. It is a singular work of the Spirit in our lives that actually should come together. If you're just a person who has a soft touch, you may just be a person who was born with some mild-manneredness. But if you are a person who actually is gentle and kind and loving and self-controlled and all of these, then it's actually evidence that the Spirit is working in you to produce a cluster of fruit in you. And because it's all the same but also different at the same time, there's lots of overlap actually in the way that we talk about it. And so, even though we can say the fruit of the Spirit is love, we also know that love also equals some other things. When Paul, who wrote those words, tells us about love in 1 Corinthians 13, what does he say? Love is patient. Love is kind. And in describing one of the fruits of the Spirit, love, he actually uses two other of those fruits to describe it, doesn't he? 
There's lots of overlap. There's lots going on. And here's the point, is that the Holy Spirit, when He is producing in us good things, we should actually see all of it happening. That may not all happen at once. It may not all happen to the same extent at once. But if you are growing in Christ, you actually should see the Spirit producing His cluster of wonderful fruit in you. That's character. Let's now turn to action. Gentle action. What does it mean for our character to pour out of us, to actually be worked into regular action? Well, in defining gentle action, I actually want to start by defining the opposite. So bear with me for just a second. There is a a psychologist, a man named John Gottman. We may have talked about him before. Uh, He is actually one of the pioneers of a particular uh, method of psychology focused especially around couples therapy. And Gottman has interviewed literally thousands and thousands of married couples, focusing most of his time actually on the ability to predict whether these married couples will stay together or not. And he does interviews, again, thousands of interviews, and most of these interviews he actually videotapes, and he goes back and he watches them, and he has gotten so good at this that he can actually produce, uh, he can actually predict with incredible, uh, incredible veracity, he can actually predict whether or not a couple will stay together simply based on the facial expressions that they give to one another. Because he can actually read particular emotions in those facial expressions. And Gottman has these four, these four kind of relationship killers. He calls them the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And I'm going uh, to read you actually from the, the, the Gottman Foundation or the, Insti- the Gottman Institute website. This is, what the, this is what he says about this. Dr. Gottman's research revealed four conflict patterns antagonistic to marital stability. Criticism, defensiveness, stonewalling, and contempt. These are the four horsemen that he says are usually the death knell for couples. And contempt was the most destructive of them all. Here's the description of contempt, again, from the Gottman Institute website. Contempt comes from a place of superiority and makes the other feel inferior. Deep down, it stems from a sense of feeling unappreciated and unacknowledged in the relationship. It could take the form of verbal or nonverbal language, which can include sarcasm, mockery, and facial gestures. Often, partners are unaware of what they said or did, especially with contemptuous gestures like an eye roll or a chuckle that elicited their partner's wrath. Whether in words or behaviors, contempt escalates the conflict situation. It is no more about the issue that started the argument, but an attack on the worthiness of a person, almost like saying, you are insignificant. Now, let's just pause for a second, um, because there's probably some of you that heard those words Uh, and immediately pictured the face with that facial expression. Maybe it was your spouse's face. Maybe it was your mother or father's face or a high school coach or somebody who made you feel unworthy, who made you feel like by their words or their actions like you didn't matter, and you felt the wounds of contempt. 
Friends, I got to tell you, just uh, studying for this sermon was really convicting. To read about contempt, to hear it in my own voice and see it in my own face was not a picture that I wanted to look at all week. But it is a great place for us to see the opposite of what a gentle, gentle life should look like. Because what does contempt stem from? Well, it typically stems from pride, doesn't it? This idea that I am owed some rights from you, that I, some, for some reason, kind of stand above you. And if you're not worthy in my presence, it's because I'm more worthy. It's because I have some sort of innate worth that is above your innate worth, and you owe me something because of that. But remember how we defined gentleness. It is to not be overly impressed with our own self-importance so that we act as though we are not owed some sort of right, some sort of payment, something that we are owed by another person. Friends, to be gentle is to reject contempt. To be gentle is to actually put ourselves not even on par with another but below them to take on, as Jesus did, the form of a servant so that we might humble ourselves before one another. Now, let's just do some, some quick application here, and we're going to stick in, in Gottman's territory. If you, are, if you are newly married or engaged, or things are fresh for you, uh, I have some really disappointing news. <laughs> Your spouse will frustrate you and disappoint you and to anger you, and you will feel like that person is really hard to get along with, and you will actually have to bear a lot of that person's burdens. But you know, that's actually what love is all about. In fact, let's look at another Scripture, Ephesians chapter 4. This is what the apostle says to the church. I therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Paul is describing uh, gentleness in the wild here. Because here's the thing, is that you can't actually be gentle by yourself, can you? Gentleness is actually something that is displayed when you are around other people. And in order for you to exercise the character of gentleness in your life, you're going to have to actually do what Paul says here at the end of that phrase, bear with one another in love. And so whether you've been married for six days or six months or 60 years, you know that at the heart of marriage is actually having to bear with one another, to be gentle and patient and humble with one another and bear with each other in love that comes from a root of humility. And friends, that is really hard. And you may feel as convicted about that as I do. And it may be that you have developed such a pattern in your marriage that that one is going to be hard for you to come back from because your spouse has actually experienced your contempt 
for years and years and years and has hardened his or her heart. But here's what the Lord says, is that when we actually do begin to soften ourselves, when we actually humble ourselves, when we bear with one another, and especially when we kneel before the Lord and we ask Him to change us, He loves to do it. And if you want a marriage that will be built for the rest of your life on a firm and solid foundation that will be fruitful and flourishing, friends, gentleness is one of the pillars of that foundation. Now, what do we do when that's hard? Well, here's the great news, is that the Spirit who gives gentleness gives it out of His own character. <laughs> so we actually have a God who is gentle. In fact, we've already heard Jesus describe Himself primarily that way. I want you to hear the words of this biblical scholar. He's talking about Jesus' words in Matthew 11. This is what he says. Biblical teachers in Jesus' time were characterized by their strictness and their discipline. The scribes were often perfectionists, and they sought perfection in their students. The Pharisees were often disdainful of unlearned people. They believed them to be beneath them. But Jesus does not describe himself as austere, but as gentle. Jesus' gentleness means that he will be patient with slow students and thoughtful in correction. I hope that is encouraging to you this morning. Jesus, as a gentle teacher, will be patient with slow students, slow students like me. He will be gentle in his correction. So what do we do when we see contempt in our lives? What do we do when we desire gentleness to pour out of us rather than contempt? Well, friends, we go to the gentle Savior, and we ask him to produce it. Will you join me as we pray right now, asking for that very thing? Jesus, who is gentle and humble, Lord, how great it is to be able to proclaim that as we stumble continuously, um, as we are stubborn, as we wander, <laughs> as the path forward is almost, almost never a straight one. We are so grateful that you as our guide, as our teacher, as our friend, as our Lord, that you are gentle with us. And so we ask you, Lord, Remove from us contempt. Create in us gentle character that is poured out in our lives in gentle, humble action. We want to be more like you. Will you do the work by the power of your Spirit to make us so? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.